Hello, and welcome to the Recovery Matters podcast from CCAR, the podcast where putting recovery first is always the goal. Here we present interviews, discussions, stories, and speeches to cultivate the understanding and acceptance of the power, hope, and healing of recovery from alcohol and other addictions. Here are your hosts, Phil and Sandy Valentine. Hi, honey. It's just the two of us this morning. Does that frighten you? No. Oh, good. You don't scare me anymore. Anymore? I don't think you scare me anymore because you don't have your big corporate office where you used to scare me. I know. That was really surprising back then. Yeah, well, you became like a new person, a different person. Yeah, in the workplace, I would be a leader, and at home, I would be completely submissive to your (laughs) desires and wishes. Completely submissive. So we're here solo, you and I. Duo. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And at this stage in our life, I think there's a big topic you, both you and I, don't really want to talk about, Mm -hmm. but think we probably should. Yeah. Yeah. So just recently, just a few months ago, you lost both your parents within 48 hours. Yeah. The strange part, too, being they were divorced for 40 plus years Mm -hmm. and died like 48 hours almost to the minute, right? Right. It was eerie. From completely different reasons. Mm -hmm. And their progression towards those final days started around the same time, um, four four or five months prior. Well, it was, and this is, I'm interested. So when do you think my my mother's progression started? Yes, your mom was, well, your mom had physical issues serious diseases and ailments probably for her last 30 years right and, and the last seven kept eight. surviving them yeah um tough she's tough very tough but the kind of the deal breaker was she was bumped into by a car in a grocery store parking lot mm-hmm. and just couldn't rebound from that and she was at 88 And my dad was 87 and had a long, we think, um, probably four or five, six years of progressive dementia, Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But all of that sped up for him around November, December, the same time she was hit by the car. And they both went to the hospital and they both went to short-term rehab. Mm -hmm. And then your mom moved into assisted living, um, then got hospice care, and your dad went back home under the care and love of his wife and got hospice care, and then they chose the same week to leave us. Well, and, you know, 88 and 87, um, 62, they've been part of my life for 62 years, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. Um, They've had, both had Good lives, I would say, overall, you know. Um, And there's so many issues here around grief and our recovery principles. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm interested to see where this conversation goes because recently I, uh, I wanted to process 
some of the issues with a therapist or a counselor and I signed up and <clears throat> I got somebody that was like, frankly, appalling in a lot of ways. <laughs> so um, I'm not quite sure what that was about, but here we are a few days later, you and I to talk about it. And we talk a lot in our car rides down back and forth to the beach and process this. Um, I think I want to start ask by asking you a question. Mm -hmm. um, as we were pretty much pretty close to bedside with both uh, the deaths, right? And seeing how the funerals and the services played out, how our kids responded. Um, what have you learned? And you also have a, a lot of other grief in your life. So, yeah. and, and my sister was a huge part of all this as well and has played an amazing role. Um, so what have you learned? Well, can I first start maybe by recapping my experiences a little bit? Of course. Because I think it comes out of accumulation. Mm -hmm. um, so when I was 39, my father passed away. He was 86. Mm -hmm. And over the next 10 years, my sister died from... So my father died from congenital heart failure. He was someone similar to your mom who had a major, major illness or disease at every stage of my life. But I came along the scene. He was 48 when I was born, so I came along the scene later in life. Um, but it, but So that was kind of expected, his age and what his body had been through. Um, my sister had leukemia and survived it, but had radiation-induced dementia. And in my mind, she died of dehydration, living in a nursing home, but in my mind, she died of the side effects of that disease. And then my brother died of melanoma. And then, so that, then my mom. Well, since you're kind of recapping how everybody died, I'm not quite sure why you're talking about how they died. Um but your brother was Agent Orange in Vietnam, right? Right. Yeah. That was where the melanoma came from. Yeah. And I was sharing because you had shared how your parents, what they died from. Oh. Yeah. Um, and then... Well, Alzheimer's isn't listed on my father's cause of death. Well, that's interesting. It's, some, it's too... I can't even remember what it was. <laughs> but anyway. And then my... Um, my mother died of Alzheimer's, mm -hmm. and then that all happened in 10 years, mm -hmm. so between 39 and 49 for me, and then not quite two years ago, another sister died of colon cancer, so I have one sibling left, and I had 18 aunts and uncles, and they've all passed away in the same kind of time period. Bobby. Um, and then <laughs> in... 2017, my nephew, who was mm -hmm. the same age as I am, died of alcoholism. So I'd been walking that yeah. path for a long time, and interspersed in there was your battle with stage four cancer. Mm -hmm. And 
So when you ask me the question of what I learned by this most recent season, it's really accumulation of experiences for me. And I'm very emotional, which is a little unexpected this early in the conversation. But this is going to sound super harsh. Mm -hmm. Don't show up for me at my funeral. If you haven't shown up for me in life, that's what I've learned. I've learned that everybody turns out then. And if you're showing up for the family, you know, if your purpose is to show up to support the family, all about that. But if your purpose is to show up for me because I'm dead and you didn't show up for me in my life, then just skip it because I don't know. I am already in the best place imaginable. So I'm okay. So either show up for my family or show up for me when I'm living. And I know that's wicked harsh. Um, Well, for you, that's harsh. It doesn't sound harsh (laughs) to me. (laughs) But I've just seen it again and again and again. And it, it's, folks will have regrets that they don't need to have. And it's about You know, so many times we've talked about, do we really want to go to do this? Or, you know, what kind of routine? Do we have time? Can we fit that in? Where do we choose ourselves over somebody else? But there are people in our lives who I don't give enough of my time to who show up for us again and again and again. And it's an incredible gift to have those people. Well, you went down a different trail than I thought you were going to go down. Okay. No, that's cool. So, I mean, I just, um, you've always been, over the decades I've known you, you've always talked about showing up and how important that is. And I think uh, that's almost a recovery principle. 90% of life is showing up, right? Yeah. Well, the early <laughs> recovery pathways were mm-hmm. to show up. Mm-hmm. Right, not just to show Fake up. Fake it till you make it. <laughs> but not just to go and show up for yourself. For others, who show up for others. Right. I'm not in any way implying I am great at this, right. but as a receiver, mm-hmm. it's an incredible gift when people show up for you. It's that's true. Um, so what did you learn? So there's my there's my answer to your question. Well, that was more kind of a esoteric or surface thing that you've learned about. Really? I think that's surface? Well, other people show up. Well, what have you learned internally about processing grief and life and all oh, that? I gotcha. I did go down and I took a fork in the road that you didn't put. You like to de- deflect. Um, but I can answer your question first if you want more time to think about it. No, I, I, uh, I know my answer. Are you going to be able to say it? <laughs> I feel that grief is not time bound. It is so we talk about smart objectives, right? Yeah, With sure. specific, smart measurable, you know, time bound. Grief is not smart. 
grief is not time bound. Grief doesn't operate on a calendar. You can go, your loved one passes away and you might walk right through their birthday, mm -hmm. their next birthday, having the best day you ever had. And then on some random day, um, you'll see a bird mm -hmm. or in my brother's case, I can see a fire truck oh, yeah. 364 days a year. He was a former fire chief, mm -hmm. passion, love, everything for him. And on one random day, one random fire truck, it will hit me and wash over me like a tidal wave. Mm -hmm. And so grace, when you're going through grief, is in giving grace to myself that if it hits me hard mm -hmm. on whatever day or time, it's okay. Because I think the grief is in measure to the love, the love that you received from the person, the love you had for the person. And if there's a whole lot of grief, it's because there was a whole lot of love. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's, oh, there's that, that answer. Yeah, we talked <laughs> about that. So I, I talk about the tears are <clears throat> are reflective of the amount of love. Well, I like when yeah. you say that when, when you're crying, that's love leaking. Yeah. We know that I leak a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, for me, it really has turned me introspective, and I am by no means through it. You know, I think there was some certain trauma I experienced just by being with your mom and dad within 48 hours at their last breaths. Your you mom know, and dad, yeah. Yeah, my mom was um, in a lot of pain the last day until she really calmed down. And, you know, the hospice and the morphine took care of all that. And my dad was laboring, breathing for a couple of days and... You know, we were we were also with hospice and administering morphine and turned him over on one side and he just gasped and stopped breathing with me holding his hand, mm -hmm. his wife holding his hand. And so, you know, those final memories, mm -hmm. they almost superimpose themselves on the 60 prior years and all those memories. And it's a question of sorting through all those and... um you know, just remembering who they were. I mean, officiating at the services and and delivering a eulogy helps you sort through those. Mm -hmm. you, you said you found a lot of um, comfort and insight going through my mom's old things and yeah. her old papers and everything. Yeah, so when we were, when she moved into assisted living and we were helping your sister clean out the condo, there was a an old bureau in the basement with water-damaged mm -hmm. scrapbooks and letters of not only your mom's but your grandmother's. And I didn't know your mom much before the age of 60. I think is I met her when she was 58. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that version of her. And so to comb through and see the little calling cards from gentlemen friends and the sorority girl that she was and the adventurer who was biking and fishing and boating and swimming and playing tennis. I felt like I get got to know that able-bodied person yeah. um, because of my experience and because I had grown up with so much older parents, I really was more familiar with having parents who were not 
able-bodied mm-hmm. um, for long periods of time. So it was really a great way to connect aside from her current situation. Um, and just, you know, I treasure the memory of going into the assisted living facility to visit her mm-hmm. after I had done that and teasing her about um, a letter from an admirer from college. And um, she said, well, did you find the telegrams from Tony? And I said, no. And she goes, you're a terrible snoop. <laughs> I know. So that was just such a, like, that was just a really trying to find those nuggets of gold in those final days when um, you know you're, the one you care about is in such pain and and connecting them with those happier times. Right. Um, I think the the tools of recovery are be, just the fact that we were in recovery, that we were able to show up. Uh, you and I drove to Rhode Island, you know, just about weekly to visit my dad and Dee. And when mom took a turn for the worse, we were there. I can't, I don't even know, but it was a lot of time. So we showed up. But I think if I was actively using alcohol and drugs, mm-hmm. I'd have been at the bar. Yeah. I'd have been visiting my dealer. I didn't want to deal, I wouldn't want to deal with death. Um, I think a lot of times when people are dying, um, there's a lot of fear associated with that. Um, and you can face the fear, you know, the flight, mm-hmm. uh, the fight, which is facing the fear or flight and just taking off. And the way I always took off when I didn't want to, when I wanted to avoid feelings was to use. Yeah. And, and I don't, you know, just the fact that we were there, I think was an incredible gift, not only to me, but to my parents as well, right? And I know you were available for all your relatives that passed all those times. I don't know if you get better at death or you build thicker skin and it doesn't affect you as deeply because you know how much it affects you. But I'll have to say for me, one of the big learnings was being very grateful for my recovery but looking at my own mortality in the face, I mean, that clearly, that there's a likelihood that I could end up the same way. And what do I do about that? But more importantly, what do I do with the time I have left? Mm-hmm. And um, I, I haven't come to any conclusions um, I love working in the recovery field. Um, I know I'm, I'm tired, but I don't know how much of that is, you know, 23 years of working in the recovery field or if it's just, you know, the grief upon me, the sadness is upon me. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of in a fog, so I'm not going to make any decisions there. Um, but I have learned to find a moment of awe and wonder, at least a few in every day, mm-hmm. and to appreciate the time you have today, to live in the present. Um, and it really comes down to joy. Are you enjoying what creation is around you? Are you enjoying the people around you? 
Um, I mean, I didn't get sober to be miserable. I don't want to go through the rest of my life miserable. Mm -hmm. Physical pain, it's physical pain. That doesn't have to make me miserable. I can still hurt and be joyful, right? You smile at that. Well, I'm smiling just because I had a, I had oh, a few no. of extreme pain-riddled days with a frozen shoulder, and I was not feeling much joy earlier this week, but I'm good. You know, so, yes, right? Even when you were going through your cancer treatment, you know, there were some songs that played a role, like um, Tim McGraw's Live Like You Were Dying. Live Like You're Dying. And oh, then great. There's that other there's that other song that we're both kind of thematic, but to make sure that you are finding some joy in every day because we can't control all these circumstances. And I do think that um, the pandemic has created a, a slightly different version of walking through things like this than before too. And I can't really put my hands on on the impact of that, but you know the. You said, you know, I've been through this more often. And so a couple things there is one thing that I have learned, and it came about this week too, with experiencing a ton of shoulder pain, like really at the, between zero and 10, I was between seven and nine for mm -hmm. a couple of days. Um, and you said to me the other day, should you be going to work? And I was like, absolutely have to go to work. And the day after my last sister died, who was like a mom to me, she was my oldest sister, I went to work. Or the day I found out, I found out early in the morning. I didn't I, I went to work from home, mm -hmm. didn't talk to anybody. So work has always been grounding for me. And when I think about when all my family members were dying, I didn't do it with you. So we had four kids, raising kids, and I would always defer you to take care of the kids, and I went off and handled my family members' situations, mm -hmm. you know? So it wasn't that you were supportive, but I didn't want our family impacted by what I was going through. So that's how I always managed it. Like I managed it like work. And it's okay because those were my decisions at the time. But I think you and I, as our chicks have left the nest, and this happens to be the last day of high school for our youngest child, that you and I have almost return to our early days together in recovery where we're talking and connecting about about recovery and mm -hmm. um, you're teaching me to be a better recovery coach for you and you're a great recovery coach for me and I think we spent all those rides for for the last two years having recovery coaching conversations that we have walked through your first really intense experience with death together. Mm -hmm. And it's not so much that we are doing this beautifully, but I can think about how hard it would have been 
without the connection that we've had and without sharing the experience together. So like returning to our formative years in recovery and returning to all those tools and practices, we were somewhat intentionally, but mostly unintentionally equipping ourselves for such a time as this. Yeah. Um, I think uh, when I think about recovery and the, and the spirituality associated with many people's recovery, and certainly I associate spirituality with my recovery, and um, you watch the almost like the mystical spiritual conversations that you're for me, my mom and dad were having mm -hmm. with things that they were seeing and nobody else was. And I had seen that a few times before and you had witnessed that, that it just reinforces the idea of the spiritual or the supernatural. I guess some people could say it's like delusions in their head or something, but it didn't look like that to me. They were definitely seeing things, they were wrestling things. Um, one time I was sitting next to my mother's and she just yell, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I don't know who she was talking to. I just held her hand and said, I'm right here, Mom, it's okay. Um, and I think about sometimes the grief brings me to think about what it will be like when I'm on my deathbed, if if that's how I go, you know, and it's going to be interesting. I'm just going to say that. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't know. No, you are interesting. Going. Well, I just, you know, will I be afraid? Will I welcome mm -hmm. it? Will I be? Um, I mean, I'm really, and I think that it. I know, my faith tells me that death is not final. Mm -hmm. But there's a finality to death. Yeah, that it's it comes up in the strangest ways. I love what you talked about. Grief doesn't have a time frame. It's not like a three month process and you've walked through it. I don't think so. I think it's more like um, it it it's it at the weird time. I went and had a colonoscopy. My mother loved to hear about that. She was a nurse at one time. I was going to call her and say, well, these are the results of my, well, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. You know, you know, I can't do that. And you're like, start to get all choked up because even something you, you could connect with your parents about. And you've often talked about my dad just going back to the house and the presence he had in the house mm -hmm. that he was always fun loving, welcoming. It was our kind of like homestead, you know, that yeah. everybody returned to. And, and really, for six years, he was in that recliner in the middle of that house and yeah. that presence. Yeah. But it, Always usually pretty um, peaceful, you know. Um, yeah, and his yep. good sense of humor. Yep. Love seeing the dog <laughs> yeah. more than us. Yeah. <laughs> Used to be the kids, but... They're... Yeah, the dog. He loved the dog. But I know when I was... I was typing up an invitation list for Mary's graduation party, and mm -hmm. I went to write Dad and D, and just started sobbing mm -hmm. to just write, you know, D without Dad. And, um, and the other day, I went to describe a room in Dad's house, and mm -hmm. that just took my breath away too. So it, 
catches me. Well, the theme I, I put in each of the, the when we talked at the, the funeral services was uh, grief, relief, and gratitude, right? The relief really was that they were out of pain. And on some level, both of them wanted to die. They were done. You know, yeah, they, they communicated they, it. Yeah. And um, the gratitude is just for their lives they lived and what they gave me, gave me life. I mean, as simple as that, as basic as that, right? Mm -hmm. And there was much, much more than that. But the grief is the thing that is, it's a, it's a lot more than just like sadness. I mean, um, the sadness will come upon me. I, I've noticed that. I've become way more quiet. I don't want to necessarily engage and talk with much, much more introspective. Um, and I think that's part of the grief. Um, there's anger at times and it bubbles up in strange places and weird times that, that doesn't quite match the event that happened. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of love and tears and missing. So another tool of recovery is, you know, I, I've expanded my own personal emoji chart, right? I know. Really? I, yeah, I know that there's many more emojis that make up Phil, and I'm able to say now I, I kind of know what I'm feeling. I didn't always know, and I can also label that if it's a okay this is the frustration one or the anger one and it's not associated with this event it probably has to do with this the, the strange thing too and i think we both experienced it and my sister talks about it frequently is the fatigue it's just like why are we so why it's almost know? like having a case of mono and you just go and I don't think it's anything like physical. I do think, you know, I I did catch COVID in the months after my, after all those years I caught a bout of COVID. But I don't think it's that. I think I'm over that. And, but I'm still just times where, you know, I know I probably should go walk in the woods. I'd feel better, but I certainly can't get myself to do it. Yeah. Is that depression? Is that fatigue? Is that, I don't know what that is. I think sometimes our bodies are telling us it's okay to go and take time. You know, so many different um, cultural customs have this space and process to just for sit. grieving and mm -hmm. sit and grieve. Um, and I think you know we got we got right back to life, um, and it was very intense. Right, they both died week one, two days apart. And we did funerals for both week two, two days apart. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then there's things to to navigate afterwards and to help with. But Family coming in and out yeah. and dynamics and um, both have very um, understanding work environments, workplaces, but there's still demands of work. And... Um, Settling estates and all that stuff yeah. and cleaning condos and distributing furniture and other items and well if you even think about work, right? Our our though. whole our whole 
workplace thing around grieving is, you know, you get three or five days around the time of the funeral services bereavement. and stuff, right? Yeah, you get your bereavement but, leave. But it might be four months later that I fall apart, oh, yeah. you know? I, I remember when you, um, you had gone through six months of cancer treatment and you were figuring out some things for a couple months after that. And then that next month, I just emotionally fell apart, right? Like I stayed the course through the whole thing and I fell apart. And you actually did something kind of romantic. No, I didn't. I know. These aren't hard to remember because there's so few. Good. That's why I do them so few so you'll remember them. You sent me a bouquet of flowers with a note that said, it's okay to fall apart now. I'm okay. I did? You did. That was sweet. It was. I know. That's why. I'm surprised you don't remember because it's so rare too. But, but you know, I think that that's kind of the thing. And it's okay. You need those three to five days to go to the funerals and all that good stuff. But I think that, that, again, it's not time bound. But one of the beautiful things for me that has been an outcome of this is I met you through my relationship with your sister. Mm -hmm. And we have navigated life. Um, we've had different seasons of raising children with each other, and we have children who are involved in activities that are different, and we just haven't had um, the kind of capacity and time together. And so um, having her back really in our lives again and walking through it with her has mm -hmm. been a treasure. And I'll never forget on your dad's final day, I was not managing my emotions really well. Mm -hmm. I was went upstairs having a full-blown meltdown. And here she is. She had just walked through her mom's death, and she'd been with your mom mm -hmm. daily for so long. And she came up and just shared the most beautiful words to comfort me in, in a time of intensity for her. And so those are the things that you look for in this because there will be nuggets of gold in the darkness and it's just trying to find them and and um, and cherish them. Um, I don't know if they told you this, but our son Matthew was telling me this week that um, he... When he made the decision to come for the funerals, when he went to fly in for the funerals, that he didn't focus on his own feelings about it all at all, that he just wanted to be there for us. And and Samantha shared that she knew that if he was going to be there, that he would do that, because otherwise she was considering coming in from Kenya, which would have been mm -hmm. a really difficult trip for her in that quick space of time. And that... Then he went back and had to figure it out. But we now have adult children who are looking at us. Like, it's hard to believe that we now have adult children that are trying to figure out what their role is in not parenting us, but supporting us as adult children. And that, you know, I remember sitting at your dad's funeral with Colleen next to me and, you know, seeing the love and memory and grief in her um, and, you know, knowing the joy that he had in all his grandchildren and that, you know, he got to meet his grand 
great, they both got to meet their great grandchildren as well. And to have Joshua and Madeline be part of the service and do all that. And um, Mary, God bless her, she's been with us every step of the way yeah. and listened to us so many times. The only chick left in the nest watching this whole thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty remarkable to see your your children responding and um, greeting people with warmth and humor and confidence and um, you know, is death? I think what you're you're bringing home for me, death is is not one hundred percent all sadness, you know, because it's sad for us that we don't have those people in our lives anymore. But it's not really sad for them because, well, they're dead. And who knows where they are. I kind of have my own idea, I think. I do believe they're in a better place. I mean, when mom passed, you, we can almost feel it, right, mm -hmm. that she almost said to us, this is great, you know, or I'm good. And you could feel that. So I think about Art, you know, Art Woodard, when he passed, his energy since then has seemed to explode and expand in a lot of ways. Um, he's still reaching people. A lot of things that he taught me, um, passing on, mm -hmm. you know, and they they reside deep within me. So you know, my parents do as well. Um, you know, I'm not. I do feel overall that. Um, um, the fog is starting to clear. I've been proceeding cautiously. Um, but when you're like in a boat in the fog, mm -hmm. you proceed cautiously until the fog lifts a little bit and you can see farther and see the next channel marker. I can see the next channel marker. So that's the direction I'm headed. And I'll go there and we'll see what happens. But, um, you know, even though you go through these seasons of life, the words of my sponsor still ring true, and I believe it with all my heart, even for you and I, that the best is yet to come. And that does include death. Yeah. I'm not afraid to die. Mm -hmm. I'm afraid to be in pain, but I'm not afraid to die. I just want... I'm a little afraid to die. That's right. what I think I've discovered. <laughs> And, I, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. But, you know, because I'm, it's, a, I think and maybe that's watching my parents, you know, you get a little like, well, I don't know about all that. Yeah. I don't know if I want to do that. But. Well, and I had had different experiences with my brother and my sister. So, mm -hmm. so the experiences with your mom and dad were very different. So mm -hmm. I thought that I was prepared and I, I, I wasn't mm -hmm. for that either. Um. I do think, you know, when my sister um, Jeannie died with radiation-induced dementia, she was in the hospital for four days in a coma passing, and we were able to share stories around her bed and share music, and, um, and, and she was very peaceful. It was not, it was a peaceful process, and it was when her oldest grandchild came into the room on the fourth day, late in the day, and he had, I think he was like maybe 13-ish. Um, he had a song he wanted to play for his grandmother. And she passed while the song played. 
but he felt this sense of urgency out of all the four days that was when he wanted to go and he got his dad to bring him and he played the song and she left us and with your dad you know mary 17 years old had never driven an hour and a half to Rhode Island by herself all day. She was checking in with us. Do I go? Do I come? Should I come? We didn't know how to answer it for her. And it, all of a sudden, she decided at 4 o'clock that she was coming. And she got there at 5.30, and she went in, and he was in a coma. And she held his hand and told him she loved him, and he squeezed her hand, and he died shortly after and I think both those things are symbolic because our children are their grandchildren, are their legacy, that that they are. And passing um, the life kind of force yeah. down and through yeah, that, the last acts. That they are physically gone from our lives, but hopefully all the good carries on through the families and generations and the people that they've touched. I think the last thing when you talk about that too is, is the the slogan that I learned about letting it go, letting go, and you heard me talk with both mom and dad, and I know you did the same. I think our kids go that, and even Shelley, my sister, talked about um, it's okay to go, mm -hmm. that we gave them permission that we're good, yeah. we got each other, we'll watch this, we'll do this. Mm -hmm whatever that may be for the circumstance to, to say, you know, like, uh, Shelly and I will take care of each other. We promised mom, you know, um, dad, we got D, you know, you can go, you know, and, um, yeah. all that you did really well setting all, all that stuff. And it's a, I think I, and we hear hospice nurses cause we talk to our share and, um, nursing home that, family wants to hold on, mm -hmm. hold on, hold on, do whatever they can to keep them alive. And and I don't think either one of my parents wanted to continue living in that physical and mental state, quality of life kind of thing, you know, right? So I think I did a fairly good, um, if it's a job, but I did that well, is to really let them know um, they transitioned well, as far as I'm concerned. I had no animosity. Everything I wanted to say had been say, said along the line. Mm -hmm. And that's all a gift of recovery as well. So when it was their time, it was their time. Mm -hmm. And it hurts, and it's, but it's beautiful as well. It's, it's a strange thing. Yeah. But I thank you for walking through it every time I I understand when your family, I do feel I was there, but I wasn't as involved as you were because of our, you know, I had We had babies. You were taking care of babies during some of, of it. And you were saying even on the way here, how did we do that? How do we take care of like four kids and all at the same time? Work and all a that. house and uh, man. All that was happening. I wonder why that. people retire. They're just tired from doing that, <laughs> I think. Um, anyway, I look forward to the future with you. Thanks for sharing this. I love you. Love you, too. Thank you for listening to the Recovery Matters podcast. We hope that you have connected in some way with what you've heard. For more information, you can find us on the web at 
ccar.us. Like and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at CCAR, the number four, recovery. And on Instagram at Recovery Matters Podcast. And you can use the hashtag RecoveryFirst to show support for our mission. Have questions, comments, feedback? Email us at podcast at ccar.us. Fire feeds fire. So if yours is burning right now, reach out and share it with someone.